Gahanawa? No? It's Misha Rishtaro Halin. This is the Richie Allen Show. Neil Ain Hinton. Mara Hinton Fane. Hey, hey. Put another bit of butter on the spuds there, Andre. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Don't ask me. I haven't a clue. Welcome to the program. Good to be with you today. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Welcome on this most holy of days, St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 2022. It is, as always, good to be with you. Reach out to me over the course of the next 90 minutes, I'm guessing, or maybe longer, through richieallen.co.uk, my website comment live if there's anything at all on your mind now's the time to tell me let's get rid of that yes i was speaking cupola focal there irish bit of irish pogue mahon and all of that is what i was doing it is saint patrick's day it's a holiday back home it is a bank holiday back home a national holiday i should say back home so the irish are currently getting pissed out of their minds that's what they're doing at the moment Getting absolutely pissed. Well, not all of them, of course. And the parades returned today around the country. Hang on. Yeah, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah, I had to do that again. Yeah, the parades returned. The parades returned. Did you partake in a bit of parade? Let me know through the website richieallen.co.uk. Parades around the country. I was reminiscing this morning with my pal, my friend, my confidant, my muse, Jean Anne Crowley, about parades of yore. And when I was a young lad, I would go into Waterford City Centre from Ballybeg in to see the parade. And it was a big old deal back then. Uh, I could have marched in the parade on many an occasion because I was playing for various youth football teams, boys' football clubs and stuff, but I never did. Not out of any shyness or anything like that at all, but because uh, I never did. I preferred to watch rather than to participate. Uh, There was a parade here in Manchester, St. Patrick's Day parade, on Sunday last. It doesn't happen on the day here. I don't know why that is. I'm sure somebody will know and will tell me. Feel free. Uh, feel free, but um, and and as well in London, I think over the weekend on Sunday, I'm going to be chatting with you about some interesting news items. That's what I'm going to be doing, and also I'll be playing one or two pieces of music, but not too many. It'll be mostly chat this afternoon. Uh, like I said, I hope all is well in your world. If you need someone to pitch at, you can pitch to me. I'm guessing. And it's a guess that I've probably not got too many Irish listeners today. I don't mean listeners in Ireland. I mean Irish listeners around the world, around the globe, you know, because we're scattered to the four corners of the earth, the Irish. There's no escaping them. I might have mentioned a story I told you some time ago, back in 2002. I took the long journey from Waterford to San Jose, Costa Rica. At the time, I was a little bit down on my country, a little bit fed up with my country, fed up with journalism, fed up with radio, fed up with everything. And I got on a 
bus. I didn't. My friends, good friends of mine, drove me to the airport in Dublin. I flew from there to London to Heathrow. I waited around a few hours. I boarded a an American Airlines plane to Miami, Florida. I landed in Miami, hung around for a few hours, and then caught a connecting flight down to San Jose, Costa Rica, which arrived at 25 past two in the morning. It was deathly quiet at San Jose International Airport. I collected my bags. I was going to be doing a bit of English teaching, so I was. I was also going to be working in some turtle conservation projects. Yes, yes. 25 past two. I'm outside waiting for a taxi. And as sure as you are there and I am here, I heard this voice. How are you? How are you? Where are you after? And I thought, no fucking way. And I looked around. It was an Irish guy. And it's the only time in my entire life that I was, I was absolutely, nakedly, boldly, horribly, disgustingly rude to someone. I just ignored him. Didn't answer him. Just turned my back and pretended to fiddle with my mobile phone, which wasn't a smartphone back in 2002. It was a, an old Nokia thing and I was fiddling around with it and I thought, there's no getting away from the Irish. So I won't have too many listeners, Irish listeners today, probably not, um, partying hard any random house in the great country of Ireland tonight, any random house that you walk into. That's, that's, that's how it is. That's exactly how it is. Any house you walk into in the great Republic of Ireland tonight, even in Northern Ireland, that is exactly how it is. That's it. That's Ireland. Right there, in a nutshell. It is great to be with you. Shall I kick off with the tune for the crack? I might play some wolf tones later on, maybe some furies, maybe a little bit... Yeah, don't do that again. Turn that off again. Turn it off. Turn it off, you baldy bastard. You see, if I wasn't working, what I would do today is I would have bought a crate of Guinness and a litre and a half of Jameson's. Always Jameson's. Never Paddy's. Never Powers. Those are two separate whiskies, by the way. Paddy's and Powers are two separate brands. But I would buy Creative Guinness, Jameson's, and I would sit down and I would spend the entire day watching these films in this order. The Quiet Man by John Wayne, by John Wayne, starring John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. Uh, the Leprechaun, starring Jennifer Aniston. Although, if you were to ask Jennifer Aniston today about the experience of filming The Leprechaun, she'd knife you in the face. Never in history has an actress or an actor gone so far to disown a film and to pretend they were never in it. Where's me gold? Where's me gold? Yeah, the Quiet Man, The Leprechaun and then Darby O'Gill and The Little People. That's what I would be doing. But I'm going to kick off with this because it's kind of religious, this. And it's a holy day. It's St. Patrick's Day, the 17th of March, 2022. I'm Richie Allen, your BBG, and this is The Richie Allen Show, live from Salford in the great northwest of the UK. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely glorious. The sun is splitting the rocks, not a cloud in the sky. Here's Bonio, and you too. Yeah, that's a Bonio, and you too. Bono, owned by Bill Clinton. Leased out by Bill Gates. But hey, listen, this was before all of that. 
You two still haven't found what I'm looking for. Paddy's Day, the Richie Allen Show, live from Super Salford. Hi to Keen, who says, Richie, I love this song. Thank God for that, Keen. Thank God. How are you, pal? Are you well? Diane says, Happy St. Patrick's Day. Everyone just cracked a home brew. Get in there, Diane. Our kid. You go, girl. I'll be having one a bit later on. Never tempted me. I, I am many things and I have many, many flaws and many faults, but unprofessionalism isn't one of them. Not remotely tempted to imbibe this afternoon. I will enjoy one after the programme. Yes. Uh, Chris says, was that the rattling boy from Dublin town, Richie? How are you doing, Chris? Uh, Colin says, Bono has shades of Jimmy O'Brien. When I hear them, I automatically want to smash up my radio. No, Colin, that's, that's one of the greatest rock songs of all time, my friend. John says, there is no globe, Richie. I'll give over, John, will you? Don't start with that shit. There is no globe. Don't start, John. I'll find you. Hayden Hewitt can find anyone on the internet. That's a joke, by the way. I'll find you and I'll come and give you a big kiss. And then what I'll do is I'll send a balloon up there with a camera or a drone. And and you'll see it is round. It's really round. This hologram. Joanne says, Richie, it's Joanne in Ormskirk here. Happy Paddy's Day to you and all your Irish listeners. Have you heard anything about 24-hour Sunday trading laws? Changing? No, I haven't. Joanne says she lives behind shops and received a notice from the council asking people what they think on changing the hours to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Bit strange, says Joanne. I can't help you, Joanne. Maybe other listeners will know. Charlotte says 33 and three thirds. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I'll be sampling a couple of sherbets this afternoon. Faisal says, greetings one and all. Patricia says, how are you doing, Patricia? And she's half a paddy, at least. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Richie and friends, the most important day of the year. Right, she asks. Well, if it was on a Saturday. Craig says, paddy's here, paddy's there, paddy's feckin' everywhere. It's true, you can't get rid of us. Claire, Conocity Clore, uh, she's uh, tuning in from Leitrim. How you doing, Claire? Lovely to hear from you, by the way. Recently back in Ireland from, from New Zealand. Uh, Pandora says, there was a way via San Jose. Happy St. Patrick's Day, she says. True story that got out of that airport sitting there, waiting for a taxi, 25 past two in the morning, the other side of the world. You cannot go further away from Ireland without actually beginning to return. And the first voice I hear is, is that bleeding Dublin accent, re? Fuck off. It's what I thought, but I was grumpy. And I, like I said, I had a downer on my countrymen, women and the country. The problem was with me. It was me. I had the chip on my shoulder. Isabel says, happy St. Patrick's Day, Richie. And also to Jean Ann Crowley. Now, let's talk some Patrick's Day news briefly before some serious news. A lock of hair belonging to the legendary Michael Collins sold for twice as much as a gun he used during a jailbreak. That's a rather strange fact, isn't it? The great Michael Collins, the big fella Mick. There was an auction of artefacts and keepsakes related to Michael Collins and a lock of his hair sold for £18,000. 18 size and pounds plus fees. However, a gun that he used to break Eamon de Valera out of Lincoln Prison fetched a mere £9,000. Of course, those of us who know the, the truth about Ireland 
about God's country. We know that Michael Collins, as he lay dying in Mailham Law, probably thought to himself, I wish I hadn't have broken Eamon de Valera out of Lincoln Prison, but I'm not going to get into that here because that might be a bit controversial. Yes, lock of hair sold for more than the gun. Anyway, the war in Ukraine played a big part in Dublin's parade today. You might know the last two parades were cancelled, meaning this was the first parade in three long years. Uh, Ukraine featured. Here is Sky News, Stephen Murphy. Yeah, this is a sight we haven't seen here for three years now. This is St. Patrick's Day here right in the heart of Dublin City. We're just on O'Connell Bridge. Uh, a lot of pomp and pageantry. We're just in a slight pause at the moment ahead of the car carrying the uh, the Grand Marshals coming here. But the last two uh, St. Patrick's Day parades, which traditionally attract crowds of up to half a million people here on the streets of the Irish capital, obviously could not take place because of the pandemic restrictions. They were worth something in the region of 72 million euro. That's about 60 million pounds to the economy, about 50 million euro spent here in Dublin as well. So it's seen as a really welcome boost to a hospitality sector that's really still recovering from one of the longest lockdowns anywhere in Europe. And as you say there, of course, after two years of uh, cancellations, this one is taking place against the backdrop of the horrific war in Ukraine. Uh, and Ukraine, very much a theme. You can probably see behind me uh, plenty of Ukrainian flags uh, in the crowd, among those marching and everywhere in lampposts here as well. Members of the Ukrainian community just a few moments ago here uh, parading a banner saying strength through unity. They were carrying sunflowers, the symbol of Ukraine, of course, and uh, a lone trumpeteer playing Amazing Grace. It hasn't completely overshadowed the parade. It was just a somber moment of reflection to lead off this parade. The organisers were keen to mark that, but clearly for the next couple of hours, it's things slowly getting back to normal in terms of St. Patrick's Day celebrations here in Ireland. Well, I'm glad the maudlin Ukrainian supporters didn't wreck the mood of the parade there, Stephen. Little little sample there of the atmosphere in Dublin. And I wrote about this on the website this afternoon. Wokeness, that's a term. Is it becoming a cliche? Is it becoming an annoying term, really? But restaurants in London have been adding donations to Ukraine to the bills of customers without asking them, is it okay to do so? That's a bit crazy, isn't it? 50, or as many as 50, London-based establishments signed up to something called Cook for Ukraine and began subsequently to add donations to Ukraine directly to customers' bills, the customer only becoming aware of it when the waiter or the waitress slides the old bill under his or her nose. What's that? What? Ukraine, what? So they, 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 they didn't ask permission. Now, the Telegraph were all over this story. Uh, one guy said he was denied service when he asked for the charge to be removed from his bill. A guy called Ted George. <laughs> Although they changed his name to protect him. He lives in France, he was in London, and he was eating at a tapas restaurant called Brindisa. And they sent him his bill... For his tapas. I love a bit of tapas, do you? Having lived in Spain for some years, even now, there are some nice tapas restaurants around Manchester. It's a lovely thing, isn't it? Eh? Love it. Patatas bravas. Get in there. Eh? Juevas. Ranchero. Eh? Eh? Wonderful. I love a bit of it. So this guy said, listen, the tapas was nice, but can you take that feckin' donation off the bill, please? And the waitress stormed off and said she wouldn't be serving him anymore. 
<laughs> little woke waitress, little bollocks. I'm not serving you anymore, you awful man. Yes, he, he, he actually said, listen, I have donated to Ukraine elsewhere. Uh, you know, I, what's going on? Anyway, somebody connected to the restaurant apologised to him later on. But the goal of them to think, you know, we'll just slide the extra charge on there and we won't ask them if it's okay with them. Kay Burley of Sky News was absolutely over the moon this morning. Fabulous. So good. <laughs> she was thrilled. Why? Well, Kay, the ginger ninja, who I've had a secret crush on for about 15 years, was thrilled that the British-Iranian woman Nazanin Zaghari-Radcliffe was released yesterday. She landed at RAF Prize Norton this morning with some other bloke. And I feel sorry for him. That is his lot in life now, the other hostage. Because so much attention has been given to Zagari Ratcliffe over the last few years. The other guy might as well be stuck in his Iranian jail cell. You know, it's, it's true. Ask anybody next week. What was the name of the other guy that was released from Iran's hellhole prisons? And they won't know. Anyway, one of the reasons for that is, is Kay Burley had your man on a few times over the years, Richard Ratcliffe, Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe's husband. And Kay had him on quite a bit, and Kay was very emotive every time she had him on. There was loads of pathos, and Kay was, you know, mewling and, and, and almost half sobbing. Oh, it's terrible, Richard. Particularly when Richard went on hunger strike outside the Iranian embassy. So Kay had a bit invested in the story and was absolutely over the moon, uh, was Kay this morning, uh, to be announcing at seven o'clock as she opened her programme. She was thrilled, was Kay, that she could talk about Nazanin's freedom. Go on, Kay. Good morning, everybody. Big, happy, happy day today. She's delighted. Seven o'clock after spending just shy of six years detained in Iran, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe is back home. Touching Woo! down in the early hours of this morning, the British government settled an historic debt with the Iranian administration, securing Nazanin's release, as well as that of fellow dual national Anoush Ashouri. Anoush Ashouri. Nobody will know his name next week. We'll speak to the Foreign Office Minister James Cleverly, as well as Nazanin's friends and Anoush's MP during the course of the programme yes. this morning. It's Thursday, the 17th of March, St Patrick's Day. Green Guinness everywhere. Green Guinness everywhere. She's home. Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe arrives back in the UK after a six-year ordeal in Iran. A wave and a smile as she walked off the plane at RAF Bryce Norton, along with fellow detainee Anusha Shuri, just after one o'clock this very morning. Nazanin reunited with her loved ones on British soil as her husband says it's time they can be a normal family once again. <laughs> Do I smell nice? I haven't had any nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Do I, That's lovely. Do I smell nice? This was the moment a young girl got her parents back. Young girl got her parents back and? Together again. And? 
Wait for us. In other news, no safe haven fears for the well-being of hundreds in the besieged Ukrainian city of Mariupol. Fantastic change of tone there by Kay Burley. The world's greatest actresses couldn't have executed that any better. <laughs> That's lovely. Do I smell nice? This was the moment a young girl got her parents back together again. And? Sad, no sad. Be sad. Be sad. In other news, no safe haven fears for the well-being of hundreds in the besieged Ukrainian city of Mariupol after Russian forces bombed a theatre being used as a shelter. As a shelter. As a shelter. Did you ever see Network? Sydney Lumet. I know I've said this before. I know I'm repeating myself, but I haven't made this comparison for a while. Have you ever seen it? Do you remember the speech William Holden makes to Faye Dunaway? It's wonderful, isn't it? It's it's wonderfully apt today. Prescient. There's a lovely word. How do you know these words? I watch Countdown sometimes. I can't bear that, Rachel Riley. Um, but uh, I watch a bit of Countdown. I love that speech, William Holden. Like everything you and the institution of television touch is destroyed. Your television incarnate, Diana or Kay, indifferent to suffering, insensitive to joy. All of life is reduced to the common rubble of banality. War, murder, death are all the same to you as bottles of beer. And the daily business of life is a corrupt comedy. You even shatter the sensations of time and space into split seconds and instant replays. Your madness, Kay. Virulent madness and everything you touch dies with you. It's the late, great William Holden. Great stuff. Here's a not-so-great story. Uh, P&O Ferries has sacked 800 staff immediately. Immediately, they got to work today. Some of them were already on duty and were told to watch a a guy addressing them on Zoom. And the guy addressed them on Zoom and told them they were finished, terminated, effective immediately, and that there was a, a crew of workers parked on buses in the port who would come and take their places. Astonishing. P&O said, well, this was a very tough decision. But um, if we don't make changes, it would be a viable business. Now, as I understand, some of these ferries, the staff have refused to leave and are standing firm. That's the latest I had at five o'clock. Louise Haig is a Labour MP and also the Shadow Transport Secretary. Let me just confirm that. I don't want to be telling you information. (laughs) That isn't true. Is she? Yeah, Shadow Transport, Louise Haig, I just double-checked it there. Um, she describes an extraordinary scene. Yes, I've heard and been speaking to directly with um, crew members and seafarers who uh, overnight or this morning have been told that they will be losing their jobs and are now attempting to stay on the ships in order to try and fight for those jobs and protect themselves. Security firms and agency workers have been bussed in who are handcuffed trained and are trying to remove those workers from the ships. And it's just unforgivable. It is frankly a complete and utter scandal that a company should be behaving like this on British soil to tell hundreds of workers on Zoom, on a pre-recorded Zoom, that they're going to be losing their jobs and then to try and um, physically remove them from their ships when they've done absolutely nothing wrong. There is absolutely no financial situation that P&O could be in that could merit this kind of behaviour. There isn't any financial position that justifies that sort of behaviour. Now, Ian King is Sky's financial 
what would you call him? He he, pre- he presents their finance. He's he's their financial editor. Let's call him that. Ian King with the numbers P and O. Yes, this is a business that has been uh, struggling for a number of years. It was acquired by DP World, a Dubai-based company, in 2019 for some 322 million pounds. And DP World have not made a penny profit since they bought the business. It lost some 38 and a half million pounds in 2019. In 2020, when the pandemic struck, those losses widened to 85 million pounds, nearly 86 million pounds, in fact. And although we hadn't had the official figures filed for 2021 yet, as you say, the company has admitted to a 100 million pound loss in the latest year. So that's getting on for a quarter of a billion pounds worth of losses. Uh, The business had to be propped up during the pandemic with loans from DP World. And in that period, it made 1,100 or so employees redundant. That was in the spring of 2020, when it became apparent how much the pandemic was going to damage the business. So it's been a business that has been really struggling for a very long time and uh, I think this is the culmination of that. P&O uh, clearly needing to have to uh, make severe job cuts in order to keep this business sustainable for the longer term. I don't think you could just say it's down to the pandemic. I suspect Brexit will have made a, a contributed as well because obviously there's been a drop off in freight traffic between the UK and continental Europe since uh, the UK left the EU. And bear in mind that uh, P&O Ferries also owns a freight business called Ferry Masters, which in pre-pandemic times and pre-Brexit times was carrying something like two million freight units per year, a business that was worth some half a billion pounds worth in sales. Well, some of that will have undoubtedly have fallen away and that will have hurt, uh, particularly, I suspect, the uh, whole to Rotterdam route. Yeah, so Ian King blaming Brexit and the pandemic and kind of giving the company a bit of a get-out-of-jail card. Uh, The Independent's Simon Calder, a journalist, for the Independent newspaper, he said that the sacking of 800 staff by Zoom is brutal, saying he hasn't seen anything like it on this scale. He's speaking to LBC Radio here. This was a day, Eddie, that dawned bright and beautiful here in Dover, lovely clear skies, and 800 uh, staff both here and at uh, Hull, at Cairn Ryan in southwest Scotland, in Larne in Northern Ireland and in Liverpool, imagining they would carry on doing what they've done for, in some cases, decades, which was um, providing good, safe transportation across the channel. Instead, the captains were told, tie up your ships. Uh, Everybody is to leave these ships. We've got a major announcement coming. Nobody knew what it was going to be. And then suddenly about um, 11.30, all those staff were told, right, we've got a video link. You are going to be uh, addressed. And they were told very bluntly, we've lost 100 million quid in the past year. We can't afford you. We're getting cheaper workers. Off you go. Um, Utterly brutal. I've frankly never seen anything quite on this scale and causing such grief in a town which, of course, is absolutely dependent on uh, sea connections um, for, for its life, uh, uh, for its living. Brutal Sir Simon Calder of The Independent. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I have a few times over the years. As uh, Coming from a, a long line of trade unionists, I've seen it. A very interesting story picked up by the Mail Online, though. One of the captains, a guy called Eugene Favier, a, a Dutchman, he's the captain of the Pride of Hull, and he has sealed himself and the 141-strong crew inside the vessel. He's pulled up the gangplank, would you believe? And he said, uh, no, this ain't happening. You're not doing this to these staff and to these people. That's a pretty 
uh, decent of him. That's a rotten situation. But look, I've said it a thousand times. Have you read Joel Bacan's The Corporation? Have you seen the documentary film that was based around that book? Corporations are psychotic entities. They exist to make profits for shareholders at the expense of everyone. They externalise their costs onto the taxpayers of the countries they, they, they exist in, they operate in. How do they do that? Well, because they bribe the bejesus out of politicians on every side. They are rotten, profit-making machines. There's never enough profit. And I'm not surprised to see them tell 800 people, get the fuck off of our ships, you're gone. I'm not surprised that they bust in agency staff, scabs, Scabs, by the way, could you do that? No matter how bad your own situation was, could you do that? Could you come in on a bus getting paid half what the people on board were getting paid? See them taken off that ship and take their jobs. You are a scab and there was a time when you would have been tarred and feathered for that. I don't like violence. I'm not saying I agreed with the tarring and the feathering. Corporations are psychotic. It's a dreadful, dreadful situation. Calder was obviously shocked there, speaking to Eddie Mayer on LBC a short time ago. It's 28 minutes to the top of the hour. I'm going to take another tune, then I'm going to read your messages. And after that, it's plenty more news. It is Thursday's Richie Allen Show. It's time for a bit of Brendan Shine. I'm a savage for bacon and cabbage. Some call it bubble and squeak. I'm a savage for bacon and cabbage by Brendan Shine. I hear you scream. You could have picked some better Irish tunes than that, Baldy. You're right, but I chose not to. I chose not to. That's that's the whole point. At the very least, I've given you a recipe for, for bacon and cabbage. Brendan Shine. Uh, the BBC is reporting right now that beavers are back in London after a 400-year absence. There's about 50 vulgar jokes that spring to mind, but I'm going to resist the temptation. Uh, they've released a male and female beaver in North London in the hope they will reproduce. That's the BBC. Your comments and then... More news. It's uh, the Richie Allen Show for Thursday, St. Patrick's Day, 17th of March, 2022. Brambo says, Nazanin Zagari Ratcliffe used to work for the BBC Media Action and latterly Thompson Reuters, both recognised as being prime agencies of Western soft power. Um, Our Boris, remember, importantly, Johnson, while acting as Foreign Secretary, let the cat out of the bag by saying some years ago that she was only training journalists over there. That means fermenting sedition, says Brambo. As you sow, so shall you reap in my book. Well, that's a bit harsh. If she was training journalists, how do you equate training journalists to fermenting sedition? I'm not saying you're wrong now, but I think it's a little bit harsh. Myself... That's just me. James says, bang on about corporations, pure profit, complete racket and treat people like expendable assets. Happy St. Patrick's Day, he says. I've had many a conversation with my friend Michael Cohen. Michael is a trade unionist, he is a socialist, he's an honourable man. The unions have been pulled apart, piece by piece, dismantled, brick by brick, over the last 40 years. 
Thatcher, Major, and then of course Blair, Brown, Cameron, taking away piece by piece the power of unions to do what unions should be doing, which is advocating on behalf of their members. I'm not going to get into it here, but I've done entire programmes on this, how unions have been disempowered and the, the, how the media in this country, the, the print media, the broadcast media, was complicit in it. How they were destroyed from within by agent or agent provocateurs, destroyed unions on behalf of governments. I'm not going to get into it today. Kevin says, I was a member of a caving club, Richie. We used fluorescent dye as a means to discover water resurgences in cave systems. On St. Patrick's Day, we put the dye in our Guinness. The frost turned dayglow green, but the dark part stayed black. An hour later, we were all pissing a shamrock shower, says Kevin. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, Diane says a corporation only has to trade for a profit regardless of morality. You're quite right. The corporate charter says everything must be geared, everything must be done to improve, to increase, to enhance the profits of the shareholders. Very interesting stuff. Read Bacan's book, The Corporation, if you get a chance. It's astonishing. Jenny says, don't forget, Richie, Irish ferries did the same thing a few years ago. All of their staff, their Irish staff, and hired Eastern European workers on much lower wages. Now, I mentioned Michael Cohen a moment ago. That's my, my friend in South Manchester, the trade unionist. He, he, he's just mentioned this to me on WhatsApp. That's right, Irish ferries did the same thing. And interestingly, it was reported this afternoon that the agency workers that were prepared to walk onto the ferry as the ferry staff were being taken out, taken out in handcuffs, uh, they were from Eastern Europe, allegedly. Uh, by the way, I'm not in any way casting aspersions on the, on, on, on the characters of, or the morality of Eastern, Europe, Eastern European people. Not at all. There will be trade unionists in Eastern Europe who would frown upon their, their compatriots for taking a job that has been stolen from some poor fucker who's been taken off a ship in handcuffs. It's got nothing to do with the character of Eastern European people. It's just interesting that has been reported today. Thanks for all your messages. 19 minutes to 6 o'clock. It's time to talk about something else for a moment, is it? Keep them coming in. I'll be reading them out as we go along. This is hugely important. And you might groan when you hear this, but please don't. I'm going to keep this as fresh as I can. This is the most important thing for me that I've been working on now for the last few years, ever since 2017. If you've, I don't know, look, you might have listened to the programme for a few years and you might say, well, how the hell could we remember, you know, various programmes? I totally get that. But back in 2017, I was kicking off because the government of Theresa May um, introduced something called, at that time, the Online Harms Bill. These days it's referred to as the Online Safety Bill. This is the first ever piece of legislation of its type and it's been screwed around with for five years. Amendments added, language taken out, language put in, a delay, 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 delay and finally today the government published 
the bill. Some people, and I would number myself among them, we believe it's the biggest threat to free speech in modern times. I, I really believe that. Right, so it's been in the works for five years. Ofcom, which regulates the media in this country, will be given the power to fine or block websites that break the rules. This is all about allegedly now, and remember it's allegedly, about protecting people from harm online. Real harm or imagined harm, right? When they discuss this, they often refer they they go full they go full on Helen Lovejoy, the Reverend's wife, you know. Won't somebody please think of the children? It's all about the children. We must prevent children being exposed to pederasts and pedophiles and they're the same thing, aren't they? And um uh child abusers, we we, we, we must protect children from imagery or or text or or articles that encourage self-harm or suicide. It's the children, the children, the children. Then they say we have to protect people from racist abuse online. And they will give examples. They will say, think back to Euro 2020 last summer. It was played last summer. It was delayed over from, from 2020. Look at the abuse meted out online to Marcus Rashford, to Bukayo Sacco. And I can't remember the third player who might have missed the penalty. But three black lads got it in the neck on social media. It's racist. People need to be protected from this. The online safety bill. So, it will give Ofcom the power to hold executives criminally liable if, if they don't comply with information requests two months after the law comes into effect. Now, as it stands, if Ofcom or any other national regulator wants some information from Facebook, Instagram, which is the same thing, Twitter, it's, uh, it's two years. They've got two years to produce the information. The new law will compel the companies to provide Ofcom with information within two months. Managers will be criminally liable for destroying evidence. Blah, blah, blah. We'll move on down. And the biggest social media firms must also address legal but harmful content. This is the crux of it. Social media firms must deal with legal, legitimate but harmful content. And they will have to provide risk assessments on the type of harms that could appear and state in their terms of service how they plan to deal with them. This is really, really, really mad stuff now. So the, I have no time for the biggest social media companies in the world at all, obviously. But listen, they will now be compelled to imagine the types of harm that people might be affected by when using their services. Write it down and send it to governments. And also tell those governments how they plan to deal with those harms. Now I will ask you this afternoon, what constitutes legal but harmful? Do you know? I'm sure you can guess, richieallen.co.uk. What is legal but harmful information or content or posting? What is it? 
Now, the government will tell us, but only in secondary legislation. There is nothing as chilling as social media firms must address legal but harmful content. Yes, there are more chilling things going on around the world. I should have said there is nothing more chilling in discussing free speech than legal but harmful. It's a censor's charter, isn't it? It's effectively giving the government, governments, the right, the power to determine in its opinion, in the government's opinion, that something is harmful. Legal now, legal, but harmful. Therefore, people shouldn't see it or shouldn't hear it. This government, as much as any other government, couldn't give a rat's arse about children in this country. In my opinion, this is my opinion. Why do I say that? Look at what the government has done to children in the last two years. They've terrorised them. They have waged psychological warfare on children. Telling them horror stories about pandemics and deadly viruses and killing granny and grandad. And you can't play outside with your friends. You're a biological weapon. You can't go to school. Be careful of where... You go and what you say and who you speak to. They've absolutely hammered children psychologically. And now they've rolled out a dangerous, provably dangerous, and totally unnecessary jab for children aged five and over. Do you think this government gives a flying fuck about the welfare of children? No, this government doesn't. This government doesn't give a shit about child abuse. Governments, ever since I first strode around the kitchen floor of my house in Ballybeg in Waterford, as long as I've been alive, governments have covered up pedophilia, institutional pedophilia, Westminster pedophilia. Think back to the former chief whip under Ted Heath, Ed, Edward Heath's government, Edward Heath's government, yes, yes. Tim, what's his face? Whose name escapes me right now. Admitting to the BBC that they would cover up paedophilia among MPs, which seemed to be rampant. Why? Well, because the man is yours forever and he'll do what you want forevermore. It's played the clip a thousand times. They don't give a shite about child safety. Again, look at what they've done to kids in the last two years and what they're continuing to do. They don't care if children are exposed to images of suicide and self-harm. In my opinion, this is a censor's charter. This is, a, this is, this is the opening shots in the final battle for free speech in this country and the battle to save the independent media to allow programmes like this to broadcast to allow people to write blogs to make Facebook posts challenging government policy whether it's foreign policy or whether it's public health policy this is the final battle now and the online safety bill is basically the first missiles Listen to what 
Lucy Powell of Labour. She's their shadow culture secretary. Listen to what she said. She compared disinformation spread by Russia to COVID conspiracy theories. Let me just read what she said word for word. Other groups have watched and learned their tactics, the Russians, with COVID conspiracy theories undermining public health and climate deniers putting our future at risk. Powell wants people who don't believe the government that we are in the midst of a deadly pandemic because we are not. She wants them dealt with. When people say climate change is the biggest load of bollocks and the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on humanity, they're right. Lucy Powell wants them dealt with. People shouldn't have to read that because the climate denier, quote, puts our future at risk, end quote. Powell was on Julia Hartley Brewer's talk radio show this morning and she first lamented how long it's taken for the online safety bill to finally be published. At last we now have the final version of the online safety bill being published today. I haven't seen it yet because it's not yet been published, but I will look at it in detail. And I I support that the principle of uh, the need to, to, to regulate the online space, absolutely. But the government first said they were going to publish this bill nearly four years ago. Uh, and it was se- several years before that, that it was in the offing uh, then as well. And, and those delays you know, have cost us dear. And, and we've seen what the uh, Russians do. We saw what they did uh, around the, the time of the Skripal poisonings here in the UK in using the uh, the unregulated Wild West of the online space. And the- No, no. What the Russians did at the time of the outlandish, ludicrous, laughable, ridiculous Skripal story was the Russians used social media to say, What an avalanche of horse shit that story really is. That's what the Russians used social media for, Lucy. It's a state with its own government. Doesn't it have the fucking right to say, hey, listen, if we wanted to kill somebody, you know, the KGB, if we really wanted to kill the Skripals, do you think we would have two fucking goons walking around outside their house? smearing Novichok, smearing Novichok on the door handle, and then throwing the bottle, a perfume bottle, storing the Novichok into a dumpster? Do you really believe we'd be that stupid? That's what the Russians use social media for, and they were entitled to, to give their side of the story. This is astonishing. And the platforms provided... Uh, in them by by the big tech sort of giants to to spread disinformation. And they have been doing that uh, continually over the last few weeks as well in relation to Ukraine, uh, spreading their version of events or sowing... They're not spreading their version of events. They are presenting their version of events. And I, as a private citizen in Salford, I am entitled to hear what it is the Russian government says about Ukraine. I will decide for myself if they are lying through their teeth or if if their argument, if their statements have any merit. I will decide. You don't get to decide for me. 
You don't get to tell me that I can't hear the Russian president or Sergei Lavrov, his foreign minister. You don't get to tell me that I don't get to hear them. You cretin. You fascist Lucy Powell. That's all she is, right? Seeds uh, and, and sowing doubts in, in others' minds about the events that they're being uh, given by broadcasters like yourselves who are regulated. So you have to be yeah. able to show that your stories are well-sourced, that they're factually correct and so on, um, whereas this online space isn't. So it, it, it has cost us dear. We, we've seen a huge explosion in uh, child abuse online, in online... Back to the child abuse again, as if she cares. Scams over the last uh, few years, a huge amount of anti-Semitic material and other things. So we do think that these delays have cost uh, cost us dear. Cost us dear. What does the presenter have to say in retort? If we get something wrong, we get uh, we we could be fined uh, by by Ofcom. I mean, they lose my job. We we get taken off air. There are big penalties, and there aren't those online. And there's no doubt there is you know fake news stuff that is blatantly untrue, provably simply untrue. I see people on Twitter who are arguing that you know the war in Ukraine isn't happening. It's a figment of our imaginations. It's all being staged in the theatre. No one is actually dying. I mean, I I worry for the mental health of those people. I'm all for questioning things, as you know. Uh, you know, uh, everything's like lockdown stuff. I want to see evidence and facts. Uh, but I think there, there is a big difference between blatantly, obviously fake news, which can be proven, you know, someone saying the Holocaust didn't happen. Well, here's all the evidence to show you're wrong. And people's matter of opinion, and one of the big concerns about a lot of people is, yeah, we don't want to have this horrible disinformation from Vladimir Putin. But who gets to decide what is disinformation and what is information and what is opinion? Because... As we've seen over the debates over lockdown and policy on dealing with COVID, who gets to decide whether or not you can talk about whether masks work or not? Who gets to decide whether you can discuss whether lockdowns save lives or not? Um, People have been taken off social media um, for stating things which are now known, proven to be true. But because it was not the accepted opinion at the time, uh, people, you know, were basically, you know, thrown off social media. So, are you not worried at all that this attempt to cut down on blatant disinformation actually gives far too much power to tech companies and governments to stifle free debate? Lucy Powell? Well, you're absolutely right. This is the most sort of contested and, and tricky area uh, for, for us to regulate. I mean, probably the people that are, are, are tweeting you some of those things you know, could, could, could well be uh, Russian-supported uh, bots and yeah. uh, influencers, you know, and that is a, a, a real concern. So that's why we want to see the balance not being, um, if you like, here are types of content, here, here is particular opinion or content that we want the social media companies to take down. And I fear in the trails that the government have given us today that that is the direction of travel that they are now going with the bill. We don't want to see that direction of travel. We want to see the direction of travel that looks at the systems-wide uh, approach, at the business models, at the policies of these uh, big, very, very powerful platforms. You know, you can go viral incredibly quickly with a particularly controversial opinion yeah. or a particularly... Um, you know, uh, yeah, something controversial that, that catches the imagination. So it's the business models around algorithms, around how people engage, around how the fact that controversy is in, in fact really amplified and encouraged. 
and not necessarily prescribing, as you say, either by governments mm. uh, or by the big tech companies themselves, that, th- that this kind of content is acceptable, but this kind of content isn't. So okay. that, that's the direction of travel we but, want to see it going. Yeah. Th- there isn't any audio of her saying what I read out earlier because she gave it to the BBC website. She told the BBC, uh, a BBC online reporter is uh, is what she said. She said that basically, uh, let me just scroll on down so I can get it. She said, other groups have watched and learned their tactics, Russia, with COVID conspiracy theories undermining public health and climate deniers putting our future at risk. What's really going on here? I believe, i put this as briefly as possible because you're probably tired of hearing it, that what we've kind of witnessed in the last two years, what we've experienced collectively in the last two years, was pretty dreadful. Spooky, scary, stressful, awful. The realisation that they could do it, that they could try and get away with it, and largely they could get away with it. Exert that level of control over people, confine them to their homes, tell them to close down their businesses tell children they can't go to school, give uh, the police extraordinary powers to arrest people for being outside without a good excuse, encouraging neighbours to to snitch on their friends and neighbours if they were breaking the rules. This is horrible, but it'll pale compared to what's coming down the line, what's planned. What's planned is horrific. Levels of control over people's lives based on things like climate change, climate lockdowns and so on, things we've discussed on the programme, future health pandemic, future pandemics, um, social credit systems, where your right to, to participate in your community and in your society, your right to travel freely whenever and wherever you like will be determined by whether or not you're towing the line and being a good citizen or not. So that's why I said this is the opening missile strikes in the war, the final battle to to totally destroy the independent media. There's no doubt in my mind to remove any challenge to what's coming, to remove any discussion by experts, be they scientists, be they doctors, be they ex-politicians, be they journalists who have blown the whistle, to prevent them from alerting people to what's coming down the line. That's what it is. And I've said for many years, and it's just my opinion, and I'm not being humble here. I am humble. You know, I don't know that this is absolutely true. But I believe that social media was invented for the specific purpose I've just discussed, I've just described. And I believe that it was deliberately allowed to be a free-for-all for several years, for a decade. You know, Facebook, Twitter. I think they, they, they launched those platforms and they said from the beginning, hey, listen, don't censor anything. Let people do whatever they want on there. Let them become comfortable with it. Let these... Let these platforms, Facebook and Twitter, permeate their lives, get right into their lives, their daily lives. Let's get them picking up their phones and checking their accounts every 
I don't know, every 20 minutes or every five minutes or 500 times a day. Let's get them used to blurting out their opinions on anything and then vainly going back in to check how many likes they've had, how many followers they've had. Let it be a free-for-all. Don't stop them. Let them say whatever they want. I believe that was the policy for years. And while that was going on, people were were basically leaving other parts of the internet. They were walking away from forums. They were closing down their own websites. Remember forums? Remember I've had these discussions with Hayden Hewitt, internet legend, the man behind LiveLeak.com. People used to go into forums. There were thousands of them. Sports, politics, whatever. And they would, there would be moderators, but they would be fairly lax. And you would have your opinions, you would have your say, you would have an argument, you might have to have a time out, and then you would go back in. All of this stuff was abandoned for Twitter and for Facebook. People gave up having their own websites. They got used to it. They liked it. And all of a sudden, billions of people are on Twitter and Facebook. Now, there are others, but Twitter and Facebook. And I believe that this is basically a form of kettling. You know what kettling is? When people are protesting somewhere and they're surrounded by the police and basically held against their will, cordoned off, until the police are good and ready to let them go. They call it kettling. They've kettled the world. They've gotten the world into a tiny, 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 tiny space. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram... They've basically turned these social media companies into the media. The great majority of people get their news now, get their stories now, get their links now from Facebook or Twitter. I don't have an exact figure, but it's over 90%. Now is the time to introduce the censorship. Because where are those people going to go? What are they going to do? Are they going to run off and start their own platforms and, and stick it to the man and show Facebook and show Twitter? Well, they might try to, but they won't succeed. Because the herd doesn't give a shit. If you're kicked out of Twitter or Facebook, the herd isn't interested whether that was justified or not. Couldn't care less. Because the herd is hypnotised. It's invested in Facebook and Twitter, and YouTube, and Instagram, and TikTok. That's where it is now. Now's the time to turn off the tap and say, right, you can't say this anymore. You can't do that anymore. You're not allowed to suggest that the vaccines are dangerous and might be killing people. We will delete you. Where the fuck are you going to go? The answer is nowhere. That's how I see it. This online safety bill will be... And I'm a happy Irishman today, looking forward to a pint of the black stuff in around about, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes time, maybe an hour. It will be the death of programmes like this one. There's no doubt about that. Proposed in this online safety bill is two-year jail sentences for people who knowingly, willfully spread medical misinformation. Imagine it. Imagine it in a couple of years' time. Imagine it in a year's time. 
getting a knock on the door. Mr. Allen, would you step outside, please? Why? You had a guy on your internet radio station last night. I don't have an internet radio station, as it happens. And um, you allowed him to spread dangerous, subversive, incorrect information about the vaccines. You have to come with us. We have a few questions for you. Might be a caution first time. Ofcom might say, because by then Ofcom will be regulating the independent media. It doesn't now, but it will be. At that stage, Ofcom will say, we're going to fine you. Don't do it again. Might be a couple of hundred quid. Strike two, we're going to ban you for 28 days. You can't broadcast. If you disobey the 28-day ban... And if you're stupid enough to go online and go live at five o'clock tomorrow, that'll be strike three. We'll confiscate your equipment. Don't laugh. Don't say he's being a bit sensational here now. This is going to happen. I've been talking about this since 2017. There is no opposition to it in public life. None. There obviously is in the independent media, but there is no opposition to this in politics. None. None in the legacy media. None. Legacy media is not going to go to bat for the independent media. It doesn't like us very much. Certainly doesn't like me. The online safety bill has been published. It will pass. It will pass the House of Lords and it will be enshrined in law and the fun's going to begin then. Happy St. Patrick's Day. This is the wonderful Furies, Davy Arthur, and when you are sweet 16. I hope you've got a pint of the black stuff in front of you. Played this for my great friend Jean Ann Crowley. Great help to me and to this programme over the years. And she's particularly enamoured of this particular song. I want to say happy St. Patrick's Day to Peter and to his partner Rebecca. And to Callum and the newest uh, baby, Kira, who is not even two weeks old yet. Happy St. Patrick's Day, right back at you. Peter, he says, Richie, the unions brought down Ted Heath in the 70s, so when the dreaded Thatcher came to power in 79, she was hell-bent on taking the trade unionist groups apart, and she sure did that. May she burn in hell, says Peter, who doesn't have a charitable bone in his body, for Margaret Thatcher, anyway. Uh, with any look, Peter, she'll be cleaning Lucifer's toilets for eternity with her tongue. Thatcher, don't get me started on Thatcher. I could be here a while. Uh, hi to uh, Christine. How you doing, Christine? In a sunny Limavady. Jesse is in the guitar room, playing and singing away. Not a drop taken, because Jess is teetotal. Happy Patrick's Day, she says to one and all. I'm very disillusioned with Ireland as well, but sure it is what it is. But I learned, Christine. Of course, yeah, this is the thing you have to learn, is that you, you fall out of love with the place because of the way it was going. But then you travel and you find that the things that you were vexed about and, you know, I don't know, beating yourself up about back home in Ireland were the same as bad or worse elsewhere. And then you think to yourself, well, yeah, maybe, maybe my old country isn't as bad. 
Spiro Skouras, my pal, activistpost.com, says, uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day. He's going to have a pint for me tonight. Spiro, I'm going to have enough of me own. <laughs> I'll raise a, a glass to you later on, pal. Well, I won't have too many, actually. I won't because I have a few things to do tomorrow. I won't be falling up the stairs so much as kind of wobbling up the stairs. A lot of commentary on the independent media. Tony says that he saw his permanent suspension from Twitter as a badge of honour, doesn't miss it, had managed to get 5,000 followers, but was being shadow banned. He's now on Getter and Gab. That's interesting, mate, but it's not relevant to what, to what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. The great majority of people are on there. They will work as hard as they can not to be banned and they don't give a shit that you were banned. That's the problem with it, you see. It's a behemoth. Chris and Emma, how you doing, Chris? Chris says, Richie, my wife Emma has been saying this. This bullshit wouldn't be possible without social media. It's a giant rumour mill. They allowed us to have the internet and smartphones to reach this particular point. People end up in uh, people end up enslaving themselves. Elizabeth in Madrid, how you doing, Elizabeth? Buenos dias. The platforms were there in part to collect all the personal info about each one of us to build up the databases to build the AI algorithms and information web for the biometric surveillance systems. That's a good point, which I didn't make and I could have made it. You are right. It's, uh, it's multifaceted. You are 100% right. Building up personal information on people. I mean, people willingly confided their 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 deepest innermost thoughts with Twitter and Facebook, didn't they? Not only that, but where they were going, what they were doing, what they were eating and drinking, what they were buying. Wonderful, really. I didn't. Not because I'm a genius, I'm far from a fucking genius. But I didn't. I could see that. I deleted my Facebook um, presence four or five years ago and demanded all of the data be sent to me and then deleted. Now, they mightn't have done it. They did send it to me. Whether, whether they deleted it or not, I don't know. But I wasn't on there randomly, you know, sharing my innermost thoughts and, and my purchasing habits and, and all of that, you know. Vicky was delighted to get off Facebook. I couldn't bear the narcissists on there any longer. Isabel says the new online safety bill is the beginning of 1984's Ministry of Truth. It will allow the control of how historical and current events are reported and presented to the population. That is absolutely right, 100%. Tony says the, the morning duo of propaganda on talk radio who were decent uh, through Convid have lost every ounce of respect from me over their blatant anti-Russian hysteria, hysteria without question. Amen, Tony. Mike Graham is cutting dissenting voices off and name-calling on a level that uh, James O'Brien would be proud of. Disgraceful, says Tony. Charlotte says, you're absolutely right, Richie. Please read uh, this. And she sent me something on Substack. Thanks, Charlotte. I'll have a look at it later on. Hi to Pennywise, who says, Marijuana Passion was my forum. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Richie. I'm off for a Guinness by the key. Uh, many happy returns, Pennywise. Have a lovely uh, day. Chris says, the Richie Allen Show comment live is a forum. It is. It is. You can say what you like on there. 
Um, you can certainly say what you like about me and this show. I, I, I certainly won't delete a comment or, 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 or boot you. I do draw the line at the Holocaust denial stuff. Um, I don't think you're you're evil or sick or, or subhuman, but I don't want any of that shit there. If you want to be getting into that, well, get your own forum and get into it. I'm not scared of reprisals either. Um, I, I just owe it to some uh, people who have been very good to me, very kind to me. Uh, I owe it to them not to tolerate that shit. Uh, that's how I see it. Anyhow, I'm referring to my Jewish pals in North Manchester who have been very supportive of the show over the years. I wouldn't see a Holocaust denier in jail. I wouldn't see a Holocaust denier ostracised or, you know, disassociated from society. No, I would not. Not at all. But I'm not going to allow it on my on my website because it's my website. Anything else, you can say what you want. You can certainly say what you want about me. As I've already stated, 18 minutes past six, it's St. Patrick's Day. Les says, Richie, here you speak about government cover-ups of child abuse. You reminded me of this documentary, and he sent me a link, about Operation uh, Done by the English government carried out in Northern Ireland in the 1970s and 80s. Operation Done. Done, yeah. Uh, thanks for the link. I've talked about that on the programme over the years. I'd better get a move on. Just a little bit. Now, here's a bit of convid news for you. According to the Mail Online today, we, you, me and others, should get set for another round of booster jabs this autumn. Speaking to Peston on ITV, Robert Peston. What an insufferable arsehole. But anyway, he's got one over me, Peston. I've heard of him, he's probably never heard of me. But anyway, Peston. Javid Sajid Javid, the health secretary, was on Peston and he said that uh, millions will be eligible for fourth or even fifth COVID jabs this coming autumn. The spring top-up campaign will begin next week, where over 75s will be given a fourth jab. And the clinically vulnerable. Javid said they'll probably be given a fifth dose this autumn. (laughs) Wow. He said younger adults could get a fourth dose in six months. Younger adults, have your fourth jab in autumn. Uh, from next week, the NHS is going to roll out fourth doses to all over 75s, care home residents, and the vulnerable, Sajid Javid. Do you know who I hadn't heard from for ages? And that's a good thing. The little pipsqueak Owen Jones, who writes for The Guardian. Oh, God. I'll say no more. Speaking about the rollout of fourth and fifth jabs to to the Jeremy Vine show on Channel 5, here he is, Owen Jones. I take it right now. Look, we... He take it right now. I take it right now. Look, we've brought down a very deadly illnesses, death rate and severe illness rate because of mass vaccination. And you can see that being the case. Because if you look at Hong Kong at the moment, which hasn't properly vaccinated its elderly population, they're being whacked with Omicron and they're being devastated. We're talking... I I don't want to go into too much graphic detail, but... This is bullshit now. Not conjecture from me. What you are about to hear from Owen Jones on Channel 5 this morning is undiluted bullshit. There are photos all over the internet 
of living patients in their beds surrounded by the corpses of dead COVID victims. Absolute fucking bollocks. And the fact that he was allowed to say that without a challenge from the presenter. In their beds surrounded by the corpses of dead COVID victims in body bags because they don't have any room because of the number of dead. Bollocks. The health service is collapsing. That is... No, it isn't. Omicron plus a population that hasn't been properly vaccinated. Oh my it's a disaster. God. A disaster. Patients are lying in beds surrounded by corpses because they don't have enough beds. Owen Jones. And he was allowed to say that. Imagine if I was in the studio. Now, we're lucky because we have very, very large vaccine coverage and excellent vaccines. Unfortunately, for example, in China, their vaccines, I'm afraid, do not, it seems, have very... I'm afraid, unfortunately, in China, Owen Jones doesn't have any qualifications. He's a, he's a woke-to-the-bone social democrat who's been hanging around the Guardian and the Labour Party for years. He's not an epidemiologist. He's not a doctor, but he's waxing lyrical about the effectiveness of jabs or the ineffectivity of jabs or the lack of effectiveness and wards with corpses and all this stuff. And there isn't a hint of a challenge from the presenter. As good efficacy. But the problem is immunity wanes. We know that. Why do we know that immunity wanes? Look, I tweeted the other week. I think I jinxed it. He tweeted the other week. Jinxed it. Going, look, everyone, this is great. After so much sacrifice. Look how deaths are coming down. Hospitalisations are coming down. That's now going into reverse. Infections are going up. People are being more hospitalised. And at the end of the day... No, no they're not. Infections are not going up in the UK. People are not being more hospitalised. It's just bullshit. <laughs> This is, all this is doing is giving, it's like update, it's like when you update your um, operating system on, on, your, on your computer. Taking one of these jabs is updating the operating system on your computer, your body. It just gives it an update to protect you and the population. It will mean... And the population, you hear that? Less death, less hospitalizations, and a less pressurised National Health Service so it can cope with others. It, I mean, it's obvious. Why wouldn't anyone take That's the jab? Like it just doesn't make done. any sense. I fucking hate Owen Jones. It's not a good thing to hate anybody. In fact, I might have said before I don't really hate anybody. But I'm going to change that. I'm going to update that. I absolutely detest that little fucking bollocks. I really do. Why? Is it his voice? Is it his appearance? I don't know. In the studio was Dawn Neeson of the Daily Mirror and other tabloids. Could she take him on? Right, OK, well... If the virus does get more lethal again, at the moment we're not really seeing any evidence of that. Most people, how dare you interrupt me? Sorry, <laughs> most people, most people, most people uh, as Owen's quite rightly pointed out, we have a magnificent vaccine rollout in this country. Most people have had their two vaccinations and their booster, and a lot of people now, Storm, have had it. So we do have a natural immunity in this country, especially youngsters. Now, if it's going to be like the flu vaccine and it's rolled out. You know, if you want it every winter, which is when, you know, these viruses get particularly bad, then fine, fair enough. And if I was in a vulnerable category and it was a particularly bad flu stroke COVID outbreak, then I probably would. But the moment with Omicron as it is, the vaccination levels we have in this country as it is at the moment, the natural immunity, I can see you heaving a sigh, um, the, the natural immunity then at the moment, I don't personally see any reason for me to have it. Good girl. He was rolling his eyes when she was mentioning natural immunity. I fucking hate Owen Jones. Did I say that? 
a minute ago. It's uh, 25 minutes past the hour. Faisal says, Richie, the more draconian laws like this, uh, you know, like the online harms bill, he says, the more easier opportunities there, they're providing opportunities for peaceful disobedience. And most people will be inclined to do this, to disobey. So they're sowing the seeds of their own downfall, says Faisal. I hope you're right, Faisal. I can't see it, as you probably will. You, you won't be surprised to hear me say that. David says, climate change is the biggest hoax ever told to the human race, alongside evolution. And then he says, and the spinning ball earth. Jesus Christ. Lucy says, I saw a young girl wearing a school uniform, wearing a mask, walking along the street on her own. No one around her. I've seen many kids wearing masks, walking along the street on their own. It's unbelievable, says Lucy. Let me say a, a big hello and happy St. Patrick's Day to William Henderson. How you doing, William? Thanks for the kind words, by the way. I can't find that particular show, do you know that? I've looked for it. William remembers a particularly amusing show about Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go is a game that people play where they walk around streets and highways and byways and they point their phone's camera at various locations looking to find an avatar. And we had a bit of fun with it on a programme. And a number of people have asked me to take it, and genuinely a number of people have asked me to, to extract it and to send it to them via MP3, but I can't find it. I really can't find it. I'd love to because I have no recollection of it, but I'm told that it was um, it was great crack, but I don't remember the particular show. I don't know. I can't go through them one by one. It would take forever and a day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to a pal in Austin, Texas. Our friend, Scottish John. Ooh, I ock the new. Happy St. Patrick's Day, pal. The amazing Paddy Riley and the fields of Athenry. The fields of Athenry. That was recorded in 1991. Apparently, because of the convid, you know, we talk about how people were denied treatment on the NHS when it became the COVID health service. Well, one of the things people couldn't get done was have earwax removed. That's pretty yucky, isn't it? Earwax removed. And since 2018, um, it hadn't been on the list of core services that GP surgeries offered anyway. Before the, the scamdemic, they took earwaxing off the list of core services. But according to the BBC, many GPs would do it, particularly for elderly patients who might be suffering hearing loss as well. But uh, people are going private now to have earwax removal. I do remember my grandmother years ago telling me she was off to the doctors to have her ears syringed. But that's an interesting one now, yeah. Just add that to the list of things. But they stopped doing it in 2018 anyway. <laughs> and apparently UK Defence Secretary Ben Wallace has been spoofed by a man phoning him and telling him, telling Wallace that he is uh, the, or telling him that he was the Defence Secretary of Ukraine. <laughs> no, 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 it gets better. No, no. Uh, this is just coming to me right now, so I'm reading it on the hoof. Um, Defence Secretary Ben Wallace was tricked into believing 
that he was speaking to the Prime Minister of Ukraine. He thought he was speaking to him. The phone conversation went on for several minutes, apparently. Uh, Priti Patel said she, she had received a similar call earlier in the week. They're putting it down to Russian dirty tricks. <laughs> yeah, of course it's Russian dirty tricks. What else could it be? Now, on the really important story about P&O ferries, and it's attempting to fire 800 staff today and replace them with agency workers... I've had this message from Paulie, but about 40 minutes ago. He says, Richie, currently working and sailing on Irish Vessel, which is managed by P&O. Rumours on the ship here, uh, were, were, I'm hearing rumours, he says, that there is a foreign crew waiting to board one of the ferry vessels. That's 100% true, he says. Paulie, I hope not for your sake, but, but if it's P&O related, maybe it is true. Claire says there are still families of the minor scabs ostracised in the Welsh Valleys. It runs deep, says Claire. Thank you, Claire. It certainly does. It runs very deep in Waterford. Waterford Crystal went on strike in the late 1980s. And they were on strike for a few weeks. It was a very difficult time. Some of the striking workers basically crossed the picket line and took management jobs in the factory, went back to work. And I remember years later, not regularly now, but from time to time there would be an argument in a pub. One of the scabs, as they are known, would be in a pub and one of the workers would see him, this is 20 years later, and um, there would be a row. You know, the scab would be told basically to get out of the pub if you didn't want your head kicked in. It is very serious. There's no doubt about that. Plenty more of your comments. It's at 25 minutes to the top of the air. It looks like I'm going to be with you till 7 o'clock. My Guinness will have to cool a little bit longer. That's just the way it's got to be today. Going to have to wait a bit longer for my stout. Indeed. Okay. Do you remember the West Ham football player Kurt Zuma, the centre-half, the French international? Now, he will be prosecuted. Finally, it was announced last night, he will be prosecuted under the Animal Welfare Act because he was filmed, you will remember, kicking his cat. Uh, The RSPCA has begun the prosecution process against the lad and his brother, Johan, uh, because his brother filmed him playing keepy-uppy with a cat. I, I don't say that for a laugh. Crazy stuff. A date for the first court appearance has not yet been set, but he's been served notice. He will be prosecuted. Uh, He had two cats. They were confiscated and uh, they are being cared for by the RSPCA. I love these jobs worths. You know what a jobs worth is? Jobs worth. Look it up. English people will know. These jobs worths who have to say stuff that just means nothing. Somebody working for the RSPCA said, two cats are in our care, have been seen by a vet and are being well looked after. Right, that's groundbreaking stuff. You know, they won't name Zuma, you know. It's what they do, these bureaucrats. Two cats are in our care. We know who owns the cats. So just say it's Kurt Zuma's cats. We know. Anyway. Peter. People for the ethical treatment of animals. Now, you would think that an old lefty like myself, you would think that I would be very supportive of PETA or PETA. But I'm not. I think some of the people who work with them 
are a bunch of raving lunatics. I've explained why before. They've terrorised people over the years for working for certain companies and stuff. You know, people who don't directly injure animals but work for a company that maybe has used products that were tested on animals or bought products that were tested on animals. They've terrorised people. Not all of PETA, but some of the people working with them. You know, they'll they'll phone the neighbours of people who work in laboratories or are somehow connected to laboratories and they will tell their neighbours that that person living near you is a child abuser. They're crackers, some of these people. And there's a beautiful example of this today. Nick Ferrari has a breakfast programme for LBC Radio and he announced that Kurt Zuma faces prosecution and he brought on a mad cat woman called Dr. Carice Bennett to talk about what should be done with Kurt Zuma. Let's listen in. West Ham just hasn't gone far enough. Kurt is a multi-millionaire and all they've done is find him for two weeks' salary. I mean, he is now being prosecuted by the RSPCA for animal cruelty. Lovely. You, you would have thought lovely, right? Just think about his role. He is someone that children look up to. He is. Um, you know, he's playing on the French national team. Young people adore him. And what he does in his personal life, as well as on the pitch, is really important. He should be banned from playing by West Ham United. Um, he should also have a lifetime ban from keeping animals and go to counselling, because this is really serious. It's horrific. I'm sure you've seen the video. If not, we maybe we'll try and get it up so we can make it available again for any listener who's not seen it. But what when you say banned... How long a ban would you call for, Doctor? I think the club should just drop him. Already a lot of his sponsors have cut ties and hundreds of thousands of people have signed a petition to urge West Ham to drop him from the team. Um, People who are convicted of animal cruelty just shouldn't be in a public position like that. So... Um, You know, we've we've got to take this really seriously. It's... It's his role on the position, um, you know, what he does in his personal life as well. It does have a huge impact. OK, and I assure you, I am a cat lover. I've had a number of cats. But are you saying this man can never ply his trade, can never effectively play professional football again because of an utterly indefensible, appalling, possibly illegal incident? The man is forever a pariah, Doctor. Well, should he just be finished for a good doctor? Peter and compassionate people all around the UK would agree with that. We'd say, <laughs> yeah, he, he should not be employed in um, a professional team in what this way. Do, what does he do for the rest of his life? Oh, there's so many other jobs out there he could do. Um, but, you know, these, <laughs> these clubs, they have to take responsibility. Yeah, he should be banned for life for kicking a cat. I mean, he's a stupid bastard, this guy Zuma, isn't he? And there is something very wrong with somebody who thinks it's amusing to kick a cat around the kitchen. Find the fucker. Obviously, don't allow him, for a few years anyway, to be anywhere near an animal. But, like, he hasn't murdered anyone. He hasn't raped a child. He hasn't raped a cat. Where did they find these nutjobs? Ah... I've never given a penny to Peter. I have to other animal charities, but never to Peter. I think they're nuts. I really do.
Patricia has been on to me privately about website issues. Um, I don't know what's going on, Patricia. A couple of minutes ago, I attempted to refresh the comments live page and I got an internal server error as well. Sometimes the traffic on the site overwhelms it for a moment. She was going to make um, a comment about Bill Gates and says that she couldn't. The comment was removed. I don't know what's going on, but don't don't think or imagine for a minute that I'm removing anyone for criticising Bill Gates on my website. God, no. I'm in there now, richieallen.co.uk. I'm in there now, but it's a bit strange. Yeah, Peter, huh? Yes, lots of people would agree with that. He should never play football again. Not with a cat, but, but he should be allowed to play football again. <laughs> oh, good God. Alex says, I was speaking to a Chinese guy yesterday and he told me that the number of hospital beds per population is tiny and that you have scenes of packed wards and hallways every year. Additionally, he said, they have no GPs. So if you're ill, you go to the hospital. This is in China, presumably. It really puts the images we've seen the last two years in perspective. Example, it's normal. That's right, Alex. And, of course, here in the United Kingdom, since 1989, hospital bed capacity has halved. Has halved. While the population has grown by millions. Who does that? Just think about that for a minute. I asked the man, I met a gentleman, very polite gentleman, about a year ago. And he was in the company of another gentleman. The other gentleman is a regular listener to the programme. The first gentleman, no interest in this programme. But the lads got on well, and still do. And he said to me, some bollocks on your programme, when you think about it. We got talking about the NHS being overwhelmed, and I asked him, did he know that successive governments had continually reduced the number of beds in the UK's collective hospitals. And to be fair to the chap, he said, I didn't know that. I said, well, it's true. So if you reduce bed numbers by half over a 30-odd-year 30, 30 period and the population keeps getting bigger and bigger, what do you think is going to happen every winter? Well, I'll tell you what could happen, because it does happen every winter, the NHS is overwhelmed every winter. We've all seen the memes with the newspaper screen grabs. You know, the front pages of newspapers going back 2015, 16, 17, 18. NHS crisis, winter crisis, flu, overwhelmed, hospital bed shortage, people on trolleys in corridors. Because they reduced bed capacity by so much in that period of time while the country was growing every year by a city the size of Cardiff. That's not a mistake. I don't mean that, that what I've told you isn't a mistake. What I've told you is true. It's not a mistake to reduce bed capacity while the country is getting bigger. Somebody has done that deliberately. But, but for many people, they can't get their heads around that concept. Ah, nobody would do that deliberately, Richie. It's just bad policy. It's just Egypt's. What you have there is you have Egypt's running the Department of Health. No, you don't. You have puppets running the Department of Health. Do you really think that Sajid Javid is in charge of UK health policy right now? Do you really believe that? 
that fuckwit, that goon, banker, Sajid Javid, is the guy who is dreaming up public health policy in the UK. Of course he isn't. He is given his orders from a man or a woman who is given orders from another man or another woman. It's the mafia. It's the mafia. It's it's not the mafia, but it's the it's how the mafia operates. Compartmentalization. Links in the chain. Javid is a puppet. And every health secretary who came before Javid were puppets as well. And they took their orders. We'll make you the health secretary. You'll enjoy it. Great crack. Loads of money in it. And afterwards you can leave politics and travel the world lecturing on health. Don't worry about it. We'll write all your speeches for you so that when you're addressing a conference in California, you won't look like a fucking idiot. Javid is an idiot. He's doing what he is told. And that's how it works. But um, I suppose over the years, the thing that struck me more than anything is how unwilling people are to consider that it is by design and not by stupidity or by accident. That's the get out of jail card for somebody who really doesn't want to face the truth. Ah, Richie, politicians are idiots. Morons. I've had it on this show, I've had people on this show way back when people used to talk to me from the other side. They would say, problem with, problem with guys like you, Richie, is you give politicians too much credit. I asked Gerald Salente years ago, and I, I love Gerald. He'll be back on the programme again soon. You know, about planning agendas for years to enslave humanity. And Gerald put it back in my court. He said, problem with you is you give them too much credit, Richie. And I argued with him. I said, no, no. I've been around news and politics, not as long as you have, but I'm, it's not a case of them just being stupid. There's something else going on. You know, you don't make a mistake like, you know, take half the beds away in 30 years. And then others will say, well, it's about saving money, Richie. They, they're not stupid per se. They, they know that reducing the bed capacity will be problematic, but they're just trying to save money. And they know that in five years time or 10 years time, there will be a new Department of Health, a new health secretary, and they'll be out of it. That's the other argument. And again, I say, I say bollocks. I don't buy it. Shall we have something from the Pogues, shall we? This is pretty relevant to where I am. This is Ewan McCall's Dirty Old Town, sung by the Pogues and Shane McGowan. The time is 12 minutes to 7 o'clock on St. Patrick's Day. I'll be singing this tomorrow night at Salford as we play Leeds in the Super League. I met my love. I met my love. Dirty old town Dirty old town I've just gotten one over Jean Ann Crowley after about six years. Jean Ann's a bit of a brainiac. She knows everything. Jean Ann should throw away her encyclopedias because she knows everything. She's very, very bright, Jean Ann. But like a lot of Irish people, she imagined the dirty old town was about Dublin, but it isn't. It's about Salford. It was written by Ewan McCall. Uh, about his time in Salford, the father of Kirsty McCall, 
but it was adopted by Irish folk singers like Luke Kelly and others who loved it because it's a beautiful song. But no, it's about Salford and the Salford Red Devils. Do the Salford Red Devils walk out to Dirty Old Town? I should know this because I've watched the Salford Red Devils. I know um, I know the football team does, Salford does, and uh, but does do the Red Devils march to it, come out to it? Hmm. I don't know. Eight minutes to seven o'clock. A number of you, uh, like myself, aghast at the PETA woman. And you're telling me that PETA may have bombed a car in America at one time. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, or somebody connected to PETA. I doubt, I doubt that PETA authorised the bombing. Probably not. CC says, never forget the murdering bastard, Midazalam, Matt Hancock. Matt Hancock. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, mental, says John. Dreadful, dreadful stuff, yeah. They should never... And maybe there's something more going on there. Maybe. We are being... We're being conditioned. And social media does play a big part in this. We are being conditioned to kind of accept a one-strike-and-you-are-out mentality. Reality, excuse me. A one-strike-and-you're-out reality. That's being foisted upon us maybe and they're using people as examples not just your man kicking the cat the Egypt Kurt Zuma but others you know people who you know people like JK Rowling and others that you can be basically deemed to be and here it's strange I'm searching for the word an outcast unsociable um not worthy of participation in society. If you transgress any rule, they'll use social media to destroy people for making mistakes. Now, some mistakes are definitely bigger than other mistakes. You know, that lad who booted the cat should pay a hefty sum of money to a charity. He should genuinely be contrite about it and he should be left to get on with his life. And, you know... End of story. Allow him to get on with his life. But they want to destroy people. And I think there's something more to that. It's not just a mob mentality on social media. Maybe there's something else. Maybe it's part, you know, it's another little facet of the agenda, another little segue of the agenda to terrorise people. Look at what can happen if you step over the line. And the line can be on anything, as I've already said. Yeah. You'll remember what they tried to do to me back in 2019. We'd only arrived in Salford. I won't give you the whole story again. You've heard it before. And some Zionists were baiting me on Twitter. And I willingly took the bait to prove a point, not because I'm stupid. Asked me what did I think about the Holocaust. This was famous. This is, it was in all the papers at the time. And I said, um, I'm sick to death of hearing about it. Because I was. I mentioned, you know, the 15 Hollywood films a year that come out about the Holocaust. We get it. Anyway, the, what happened after that was people tried to destroy me. Destroy me. Online. My address, my phone number, photographs of me and my better half walking down Deansgate were published online. My life was threatened. 
people turned up at the doors of Fab Radio International in Manchester to demand that I was fired. It was incredible. I laughed all the way through this because I've got, you know, fairly thick skin. And uh, I know that most people who threaten to kill you on the internet are never really going to make an attempt on your life. But it was astonishing. And, and I, I thought about it later on because I see it happening to other people. If you step over the line, this is what could happen to you. So don't step over the line. Right? You should have the right opinions. Make sure now that you check with yourself regularly that you have the right opinions on things. Because if you don't, having opinions and kicking a cat are two different things. But they're also similar in terms of the response later on. Training people. You could be ruined if you step out away from the herd. If you do something that we disapprove of. I'm seeing it. I'm not on social media these days, but I'm reading about it in the broadsheet newspapers most days. People being disowned, disavowed, exiled because they have an opinion that is deemed to be, well, unacceptable. That's it for me. Thanks for sticking with me this St. Patrick's Day and listening to my old bull flab. Uh, I've enjoyed it, by the way. It's been fun. Thanks, um... Um, for listening all week thanks to all the guests who came on this week I'll be with you on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time for Sunday Morning Melodies a completely different programme it's an easy listening music show uh, with nice songs interesting music and stories that's between 10 and midday every Sunday morning Uh, the Richie Allen Show will be back on Monday with um, lots of guests next week, including Mark Windows, great friend of mine, somebody I have a lot of time for. It's been a long time since Mark was on, more than a year. Windows on the world.net. He's a lovely bloke and very well informed. So I'll either meet you on Sunday for the melodies. If not, we'll chat on Monday at five o'clock UK time. Going out with Lick the Tins and a very Irish inspired version of Can't Help Falling in Love with You, Elvis's Great Show Closer. Yeah, that's it. Have a great weekend, enjoy the rest of Paddy's Day, and look after yourselves and one another. Thanks again. Sloan Tommel.